Good morning, Oak Ridge. Pleasure to be with you again. As many of you know, I was a missionary doctor in Africa for some years, and this is a story that comes from those times. The patient was 17 years old and had just arrived from Angola on the back of a truck. He had fever and head and body aches for a week, so my first diagnosis was malaria. The blood test was negative, though. Within hours, he was desperately sick and bleeding from the nose and mouth, and his skin was turning yellow. A virus, I thought, but what kind of virus? Perhaps yellow fever, which is only communicated by the bite of a mosquito, but maybe, maybe Ebola virus, which transmits human to human and kills 50% of its victims. And that's when the fear hit. Immediately, Chitokoloki Mission Hospital went into lockdown. The patient was put into strict quarantine and only approached with full protective equipment. All staff were told to exercise extreme caution with hand washing, etc., while we tried to treat this patient. Unfortunately, his infection was overwhelming and he died the next day. But the fear persisted for many days as we kept watching and praying to see if anyone else would exhibit the symptoms, but none did. And so, gradually, life went back to normal. When will normal happen for us? Or will it ever happen? What will be the new normal? After two months of lockdown due to the coronavirus pandemic, people are starting to feel the increased pressure of it all. Whether it is the threat of the disease itself or the difficulty of the lockdown with social distancing and economic hardship and the uncertainty of the future, even those hardy souls among us are starting to unravel. Anxiety and despair are rampant and Christians are not exempt. If we do not have a strong foundation of faith and hope, we will fail to meet this challenge. And make no mistake, this is a trial of faith which God foreknew and has allowed in our lives at this time. More than ever, we need to both believe the truth of our faith and practice it in order to get the victory. Today I have a verse for you which hopefully will strengthen your faith in this difficult time. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Before we dive into this verse to explore its meaning, I want us to consider some preliminary thoughts. Does this verse mean that God did not intend for us to feel fear? Obviously, that is not the meaning. God gave us all of our emotions, including fear. And fear is a precious emotion. You see, it alerts us to danger. So it is a protective emotion. We see it in the animal kingdom. Sometimes I am the great hunter, stalking the most hateful of beasts in our kitchen, the common housefly. Armed with my fly swatter, I am closing in for the kill. But the fly senses my approach and flies off in the nick of time. How did he do that? How did he escape me? His fear response was on high alert. Also, fear mobilizes the squirrel to scamper up the nearest tree when pursued by the neighbor's dog. It causes the birds to scatter when they hear a loud noise, all for the purpose of protection from danger. And there is this fear pathway in our brains as well that is provided by God for our protection. It certainly helped me to mobilize me and the staff at Chitokoloki Hospital when threatened by a potential 
deadly virus. You see, the text does not say that God doesn't give us fear itself. It says God did not give us a spirit of fear. And there's a big difference there. So what is a spirit of fear? In today's language, we would call it an attitude of fear, a deeply felt and constant emotion that colors all of our thinking and action. This spirit of fear can rule us to such a scale that we're immobilized by it. Then it becomes a real spiritual problem. Another question, why did Paul make this statement to Timothy? Now let's look at what we know of Timothy to see if there are any clues to the answer. We know that Timothy had been led to faith in Christ by the Apostle Paul himself. In 1 Timothy 1 and 2, Paul, Paul calls, him, calls him my true son in the faith. He was raised with a strong Christian influence in his home. His mother and his grandmother were believers and they had strong faith. In 2 Timothy 3.15, it says, How from a child you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. No mention is made of his father. Perhaps his father was not a believer, or perhaps he was delinquent in teaching his son about Jesus. He had spiritual giftedness, and some of his giftedness had been given by the Spirit when he was saved. This is the normal way we receive gifts because it says in 1 Corinthians 12 that to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But other powerful gifts had been given by the laying on of the hands by the Apostle Paul. These powerful gifts may have been the gift of leadership or Bible teaching and perhaps the gift of faith and courage. Also, he had spent many months traveling with Paul in his second and third missionary journeys, and, and uh, he was recognized by Paul at the end as the leader of the church in Ephesus. And he was given a delegated apostolic authority to govern that church. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul tells him to command certain teachers to stop teaching wrong teaching. Not an easy thing to do. All these things about Timothy were positives and strengths, however, we also know that Timothy had some weaknesses, just like you and me, strengths and weaknesses. He was a young man. How young, we don't know, but perhaps in his late 20s or early 30s. In a society where age is highly regarded, this was a problem. So Paul had to remind him in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Besides that, Timothy was not strong physically. He had frequent illnesses. Paul told him to use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses in 1 Timothy 5 and 23. So he couldn't puff out his chest and flex his muscles to intimidate others because he was definitely not physically imposing. It is likely that Timothy, although a believer, had a spirit of fear in his natural self. There is a comment by Paul about Timothy in 1 Corinthians that says this, If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. I suspect Timothy was by nature an introvert and a shy guy. If he was going to do the job the Lord had called him, had called him to, he could not afford to remain in this condition. So perhaps 
This was the very reason Paul had laid hands on him. He needed a divine enabling to overcome his natural weaknesses. So in our text verse here, Paul reminds him of what he had received. Timothy, did God give you a spirit of fear? No, he gave you the very opposite. And what is the opposite of the spirit of fear? It is a spirit of faith. And it is characterized by three things, power, love, and a sound mind. Now let's consider these three qualities of a spirit of faith that Timothy received by God's grace. First, a spirit of faith is characterized by power. It says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. People who have a spirit of fear will be weakened by that fear. Living anxiously takes a lot of energy. It is draining. It is stressful. It can lead to many illnesses. Recently, I watched a program about the wild dogs of Zambia as they hunted a large antelope on the plain. Wild dogs are small, like, like coyotes, so they cannot attack large prey by brute strength as a lion does. Instead, they work in packs. Some of the pack get the antelope running in fear by threatening it with false attacks. As these dogs tire, other dogs take up the chase until finally the larger prey is totally exhausted. Then they close in for the kill. You see, fear is like that. It drains us of our energy. It runs us into the ground. When Israel was fighting the Philistines and their leader, a giant called Goliath, was challenging an Israelite to one-on-one -on -one combat, King Saul, who was the tallest man in Israel, was the logical choice to fight Goliath. However, Saul sat in his tent, shaking in his boots, exhausted by 40 days of taunting from Goliath. His fear had run him into the ground. Along with David, along comes David, a shepherd boy, with a sling and a stone, and he defeats Goliath. Why? He had a spirit of faith, a courage from God, and that gave him power, a holy courage which allowed him to prevail against his enemy. That same spirit of faith resided in two missionary women who I met in my days in Africa, Emily Roundtree and Eva Wark. They lived and worked alone in a small mission called Kayombo, miles from nowhere, in the bush in Zambia on its border with Angola. As the civil war in Angola in those days, days raged on with violence, these people were experiencing the pogroms of war right at their front door. And these two women held firm and did a work for God for many years. Likewise, if we are to overcome a spirit of fear, we need a spirit of faith, a power from God, a boldness and courage that allows us to rise above our fears. Where did King David get his power? He says it in Psalm 56, in verse 3 and 4. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. Second, a spirit of fear is characterized by love. Now, how is love an opposite of fear? When someone is ruled by a spirit of fear, they, they have a treasured goal, the thing that they love the most, and that is self protection, survival. 
I talked with a woman once who had such a spirit of fear. Although a Christian, she described herself as fearful and lonely. Her parents, who had gone through World War II in Europe, had taught her that survival was the most important thing in life, and you need money to survive. So, at that instruction, she started to save for her retirement when she was still a little girl. All her energy and time was devoted to the pursuit of financial freedom. Now, in her later years, she was indeed well off, but had missed the pursuing of friendships and family and love of others. And she spent little time loving God. I still remember how disappointed she was with her life. She had achieved her goal of self-preservation. She had survived, but she lost her life. Is it wise to save? Yes. But is it wise to make self-preservation and survival your first goal? No. Jesus tells us the first goal in life in these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Mark 12, 29 to 31. For some who suffer from a spirit of fear, the answer is nothing less than a total commitment to love God and others. You remember the rich young ruler. He asked Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, sell your goods and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. This man could not part with his money, which represented his security and safety. So he went away sad and he remained spiritually poor. The Bible says, perfect love cast out fear, 1 John 4 and 18. Now this verse could apply to God loving us and, and uh, that would be a reasonable interpretation of that verse. But I think it's talking about the mature love that God puts in our hearts, a love for him. When I make love my first goal rather than self-protection, then I am liberated from the spirit of fear. That does not mean that it is eradicated Rather, I am, by God's grace, enabled to overcome it each day and every day. I remember Laurie, a fellow missionary. He was a man who struggled with shyness so much that he couldn't look you in the eye when he was talking to you. But there he was on the mission field in Africa serving the Lord. And when he stood and preached, he preached boldly. He still struggled with fear, but was overcoming it day by day as he trusted the Lord and loved others for Jesus' sake. Third, a spirit of faith is characterized by a sound mind. Now the NIV translation says self-discipline, but in the King James Version, it says a sound mind. And the New American Standard Bible unites these thoughts by saying sound judgment or a disciplined mind. The word in its original refers to the mind. People who live with an attitude of fear often suffer not only from emotional problems, but mental ones as well. A spirit of fear messes with your mind. When in the grip of fear, people will often say, I think I'm going crazy. Now, paranoid schizophrenia is a diagnosis that comes to mind. Paranoia is excessive and debilitating fear. It is not just 
schizophrenics who suffer from overwhelming fear and the, and the chaotic mind it produces. Many others do as well. Imagine yourself tied down on the railroad tracks and the train fast approaching and someone says, now tell me the provinces and their capital cities and I will untie you. Of course, you're unable because the fear is jangling your mind. Now those of you who are obsessive and fearful will now go and memorize those provinces and capitals just in case someone might tie you up on the tracks. And fear has caused a chaos in my mind as well. I remember in fourth year medical school, sitting outside the professor's office, waiting to be interviewed for my psychiatry oral exam. As I sat there, the professor was inside the office, angrily bawling out a resident for a mistake he had made on the wards. As I listened in terror, I thought, he is going to tear me apart too when I get in there. And that is when all I knew of psychiatry drained out of my brain. Needless to say, I failed the test. Fortunately, later they gave me a second try and I did well. So overwhelming fear creates chaos in the mind. And a chronic spirit of fear creates a chronic chaos. I believe this is part of the cause of learning disabilities and attention deficit disorders as well as the emotional disorders that are spawned from worry and dread. Listen to these verses that, that Pastor Josiah spoke a few weeks ago. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You see, prayer is the language of faith. When you pray in faith and seek God, then the result is that God will give you peace, not just in your heart, but in your mind. And for the mind to be ruled by God's peace, it must also be bathed in the word of God. Listen to these truths. It says in Colossians 3 and 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And it is followed by this verse, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians 3.16. Now those two verses are connected. Peace and the reading of the word dwelling and dwelling on the word in, in your mind produces peace in the heart. So let's put this all together. It's okay to be afraid, but it's not okay to live afraid. God's not, God does not want us to have a spirit of fear. The spirit or attitude of fear comes out of our old nature. It is not something that God gives us. People in the Bible, Christians like Timothy, struggle with it. And at times, I have as well. And I could say pretty much every Christian is going to visit fear and the spirit of fear at one time or another. It could be a lifelong battle for some. Remember how Timothy was still struggling with it when he visited the church in Corinth and Paul had to say, go easy on him. He tends to be fearful. God did not suddenly transform him into a man like, say, the Apostle Paul, who was oozing with courage. God doesn't call us to eradicate a temptation to shyness and fear. Rather, he calls us to overcome those temptations that naturally get us down. So how do we overcome it? Here are a few points that the scriptures point out. Number one, repent. 
If you realize that you have been caught in a spirit of fear, change your mind. Agree with God. Stop justifying a spirit of fear in your mind by saying, well, that's just the way I am. It's the way I was born. It's the way I'm always going to be. I'm shy. I'm fearful. I'm a worrier. It is what it is. I can't help it. Call that spirit of fear a sin and ask the Lord to forgive you and cleanse you. You might pray this way. Lord, forgive me for my fearful attitude. Wash it out of me. Number two, commit to love God and others every day. Loving others involves risk. We need to learn to take risk for the kingdom of God. It means renouncing self-protection as the treasured goal and putting loving service for God in its place. It's as easily illustrated as this. When you're into self-protection, you're holding yourself tight like this. When you're into loving, you're opening your arms to give to others like this. You can't be doing both at the same time. You're either in this way of living or you're in this way of living. The Lord help us to open our arms and choose to love others for Jesus' sake. Also, pray for power to live courageously for Jesus. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. God wants his people to enjoy the power of God, not wallow in the weakness of fear. He wants us to be powerful lovers of God and others, and he's given us his Holy Spirit within us for just that purpose. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, Acts 1 and 8. Make sure your mind is nourished in the word of God every day. A big part of a disciplined mind is its content. A mind focused on the truth and declaring it is far less likely to give way to fear. I remember one man who came in and he said, my mind is like jelly. And after months of devoted to being devoted to learn the word of God, his mind started to become stronger and he was able to withstand the fear that, easily, that would easily envelop him. Paul told Timothy to devote himself to the reading of scripture, to persevere in it so he would both save himself and his hearers. I'm sure Timothy prayed a prayer like this every day. Lord, you know, I've had, you've ha you know I've had this spirit of fear. I commit to love and serve you today. I pray that you will give me a spirit of faith to overcome my fear and that you will grant me the ability to know your truth and share it with others so that you will be glorified in my life. May this prayer be ours for his namesake and the blessing of others. God bless you. Amen.